Revelation chapter 3. All right, tonight, it's about the most astounding event in world history. It's yet to come. It really is the most uh, astounding event in world history. We're going to talk tonight about the removal of the church. And if you've never learned that, if you're a Christian, a believer, you've never learned this, you need one time in your life for somebody to sit down and open the Bible and teach you this. And we're going to do that tonight. We're going to look through scripture at the removal of the church from the earth called the rapture of the church. It, it, it is the most bittersweet thing in, in the Bible to me. Nothing brings me greater joy than the second coming of Jesus. Nothing brings me greater sadness than the second coming of Jesus. So I want us to look, I want us to listen to the scriptures tonight. A lot of people get off and they just, they get fascinated by the craziness and the wild stuff in here. But we need to hear this with our hearts because this is a heart issue. This, this is the up and down of the earth right here. So tonight we're there. Let me catch up to speed where we're at in the book of Revelation. Um, here, here's the timeline of the wind down of world history in the book of Revelation. And we're moving into a period where there, I call it the pre-tribulation tribulation. There's a period in world history where things begin to go really bad. Jesus speaks of them in Matthew 24. He describes them. We've looked at this before. When the hearts of men grow cold, lawlessness abounds, uh, people are irreconcilable. They're looking for ways to be offended. Deception in the earth. That, that's not the tribulation period. That's right before the tribulation period. Jesus said all these things will come to pass. See that your heart is not troubled. This is not the end yet. Uh, Matthew 24, 6. In verse 28, he says this. But this is the beginning of the end or the beginning of sorrows or birth pangs. I believe we're living in that period right now. All right, the timeline is, that's Revelation uh, all across there. But something happens right after that called the removal of the church from the earth or the rapture of the church. Right after the removal of the church from the earth, we go into a seven-year period called the tribulation period. And it's the, it, is, it is the most immeasurable evil that's ever imagined. Uh, the Bible said a time of destruction like has never been nor will ever be. It's hell on earth. It's when darkness is completely unleashed and all good is taken out of the earth. And it's horrible. It, uh, this Revelation chapter 6 to 18 cover that period. Then you have the second coming of Jesus to the earth to bring final judgment, take back over the earth. And then of course, that's Revelation chapters 19 and 20. 21 and 22 are where we find a new earth in which righteousness dwells and Jesus rules with a rod of iron and makes everything right. So that's the timeline of world history. You got this Difficult period in history that we're, I believe we're in now. The scriptures pretty well confirm that. You have the removal of the church. You have the tribulation period. The second coming of Jesus in judgment to take back over the earth. And then you have the new earth where we shall reign with him forever and ever. And that, that's the timeline of Revelation. All right, we're, we're already, uh, we've been through the church period there. Now, I want to talk to you tonight about why uh, this is, uh, let me say this. I'm not dogmatic about this. We have a lot of disagreement among Christians about end time events because one third of the Bible is prophecy and most of it covers end time events. And it can be, it can be tricky. It's wild. Now, there's some things I'm dogmatic about. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The Bible is the word of God. The cross and the blood of the lamb are the only way to salvation. We'll die on those hills. But we're not going to fight and argue over views about the end times. We're going to be flexible because we can all learn something. But it's in here for a reason. And he said, blessed are those who read especially this book. So I want to give you a, 
what I believe about the pre-tribulation rapture, and it begins in Revelation chapter 3. Now, you remember we've seen that Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are a timeline, a panorama of world history, seven church ages. And we looked at those ages. And let me just say this real quick. The, the first letter said, I'm glad you're serious about the Bible. I'm glad you work, but I wish you loved me more. What did the last letter say? I wish you loved me more. I don't like lukewarm. I don't want you to be lukewarm. But there was one great church called the Church of Philadelphia. He said, I'm going to bless you because you love people. You keep my word. And I want you to see the promise that he makes to the church. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, he said this. Because you've kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I believe that's a promise that he will protect his church from the judgment that comes on the earth. Because you've, you've kept your command, you walked with me and you persevered, I will protect you from what's coming in the earth. All right, secondly, <clears throat> it's a promise of deliverance. But at the end of Revelation chapter three, you understand in the timeline, that's the end of world history right there as far as church history. And then it swaps over in verse, chapter four, verse one, Revelation chapter three, verse 22 is the last of the church era. And in Revelation chapter four, verse one, he said, after these things, after what? What things? The church era. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open heaven and a voice speaking. I heard like a trumpet saying, do what? Come up here. I believe Jesus is going to call his church to heaven at the end of the church age. And you'll see in verse two, he talks about, I saw the throne. I saw the beauty and the color of God in, around the throne there. And uh, let me, let me uh, say this. One of the reasons <clears throat> uh, I believe the spirit calls the church there, but here, here's the purpose. In Revelation chapter three, verse 22, which is the church age, that's the last time you see the church in the book of Revelation till chapter 19, verse 11. It's not found anywhere in there. There's no mention made of the church anywhere on the earth from Revelation three all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. So Revelation three twenty-two is the last place you see God's church in the earth. I want you to look with me in 19, chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 11. All right, Revelation chapter 3, 4 and 5 is a look at heaven. Revelation chapter 6 through 18 are that hellish period of tribulation where unimaginable hell is poured out on the earth. It's just, I'll just give you a few details. 60% of the world's population will be killed in seven years in, in that period of time. Every living thing in the sea will die because of pollution during that time. One third of the earth's vegetation will be destroyed and scorched, whether it's by uh, regular human arms or super something. So it's just a hellish period to be alive in. Of course, that we'll, we're going to convert to a one world government. Uh, I believe the stage is being set right now for a one world government. I believe it's going to come through the United Nations. And what's going to set up the one world government is we're going to have such problems on this planet that the overarching reason will be we have got to come together to solve our problems. And out of the midst of those problems is a man that's going to step out of the shadows, the most gifted, charismatic leader in world history, but he is the son of the devil. And he's called the Antichrist. But he is a deceiver, and he will become the ruler of the world. He's called the Antichrist in the Bible. Of course, we won't call him that. He'll look like a genius to those that are here, and he will rule the world. And after three and a half years, he'll switch. He'll make a covenant with Israel. After three and a half years, he'll turn on God's chosen people and hell will be unleashed on the earth. Uh, some people are wondering about, will there be a temple rebuilt on the Temple Mount? Certainly there will, because he has to go in that temple and make sacrifices and declare that he is God with the whole world watching at that time. 
I'll just say this. You don't want to be here during this period. You don't want to be here in that time. But Revelation chapter 19, this is the second coming of Jesus. Verse 11, I saw heaven opened on a white horse. He who sat on him is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he does what? He judges. Jesus came to the earth the first time to save it. What's he coming back the second time to do? To judge the earth. All right, verse 12. His eyes were a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. You ever heard that song, crown him with many crowns? That's the verse it came from. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, a garment dipped in blood. What's that a picture of? The reminder of the sacrifice of the cross that Jesus made. The Bible said his name is called the word of God. And what's verse 14? And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. You can read the rest and see this is where Jesus comes back from heaven to bring judgment on the earth. But you see Jesus sitting on a white horse. And, and whether it's a little literal horse or not, I don't know. I would say probably not. In the book of Revelation, the white horse represents um, authority. Kings rode white horses. But what's coming, who's come, what's coming with Jesus? An army. And they're right there with him when he comes back. And what's the one thing the Bible says about this army? Look with me in verse 14. The armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who's this army right here? Look back in verse eight, verse seven. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Who is the wife of Jesus Christ? The church of Jesus Christ. Look in verse eight. And to her, it was granted to be dressed in fine linen, clean and bright. All right, you don't see the church from Revelation 3.22, the church age. She's nowhere mentioned, nowhere to be found in the book of Revelation till right here. Where's she at now? She is in heaven with Jesus. She's not on the earth. During all that period, you don't see the church anywhere. She's in Jesus with heaven. She will come back with Jesus to the earth at his second coming. So I think this points that we'll disappear from the earth <clears throat> during that period. Now, the actual passage that people point to about the raptures in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want you to turn with me to this passage. I've used this many a time. My favorite passage to use at funerals. Matter of fact, the Bible said, take this passage and comfort people who lose believers uh, to death on the earth. And this is a wonderful passage where it says something's going to happen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You, you can find 1 and 2 Timothy, 1 and 2 Thessalonians right in front of it. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Do y'all know all the tricks to memorizing the books of the Bible? General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You get, got all the little things to remember everything. All right. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 says this. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Do you hear the heart of God there? Now, I have people that I love that have gone on. They're believers. You've got people that you love that have gone on. What did God say right there? I want, you to, I want to tell you something so you don't suffer about these people that have gone on. Listen, heaven has become as real to me, more real than earth. You know, many times I'll think, I wonder what they're doing today. It, it's not like they disappeared. It's like they moved to South Carolina, although slightly better than South Carolina. My point is, they didn't just disappear. They just moved. And though I can't see them, what is faith? It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. It's the proof that comes from God's word. So he said, I want you to know this about your loved ones. Verse 14, if we believe Jesus died and rose again. You might hear believe that. That is the central focus of humanity. The death and resurrection of Jesus. God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now I'm fixing to ask you a deep question. 
How can you bring somebody with you if you don't have them with you? What does that tell us right there? This we say to you by the word of the Lord. If we're alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we're not going to go in front of those who sleep. Now, let me say something right here. You're going to see this is where a lot of confusion comes in. Jesus comes back twice. And many people get the two confused in the Bible. Jesus comes back the first time to take his church out of the earth. He comes back the second time to judge the earth. And both are referred to in the Bible as the coming of the Lord. Now, the first time he didn't come all the way to the earth, as you're going to see right here, he meets his church in the clouds above the earth. The second time he comes in, does anybody know where he's going to land? You ever seen a picture of the wailing wall in Jerusalem? He'll stand right there when he comes back the second time. And he'll rule from that city when he comes back. Now, watch what scripture says here. <clears throat> Verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, if we're still here, we who are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up together with them. With who? Not Jesus. The people we love that have gone in front of us. With them in the clouds and we will meet the Lord where? Not on the earth, right up in the air here. In the clouds right above us. And we'll always be with the Lord. Now here's where verse 17 is. We are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's where, that's where the word rapture comes from. Um, caught up is a, let me, let me help you a little bit. I've heard people say, well, you know, the rapture's not in the Bible. Well, fine, caught up, snatched up, jerked up, whatever you want to call it. Let's don't argue over semantics. It's the Greek word herpazo. And the reason we get the word rapture is because when the first Bible was translated into Latin, into Latin Jerome's Latin Vulgate, it, the word rapturo is the Latin word for caught up and we get the word rapture. And it literally means snatched, jerked up. But what does the Bible say in verse 17? If I'm alive at this point in history, I'll just be caught up. There was a movie made about this called Left Behind. Do you remember that movie when everybody just disappeared in a moment? And uh, people were amazed at that movie. But the movie was theologically accurate, but there is no way Hollywood can produce what's really going to happen. Uh, they just, it, was, it was the best they could do. I thought it was good teaching. It was theologically and biblically correct, but there ain't no way that was even close to the hell that's going to be on the earth. But the Bible teaches here, if, if I'm alive, I've got people that I love. You know, my mother went to be with Jesus. I've got people I love up there dearly. My mentor left me here with y'all. Thank you. I'll talk to him about that someday. And, but they're, they're in a place called the new earth. They're, they're not in some state of soil sleep. They are with Jesus. Jesus didn't say to the thief on the cross, one day you'll be with me. He said, today you'll be with me. They're in the presence of the Lord right now. The Bible says here they're coming back and we're going to meet in the air and we're going to be caught up to meet them in there. We're going to meet the Lord there. And then we, that'll be, we will never be separated from Jesus again. That's why it says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. What's the last verse say? Comfort people with these words. When people lose loved ones, you bring this to their attention and say, let me tell you where they're at. And let me tell you what the Bible says. You're going to see them again. If you follow Jesus, you'll see them again. So the Bible is very clear that we're going to be caught up. We're not going to be on the earth during that tribulation period. We'll be caught up. Uh, let me show you another one. Turn the page, probably one page to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The fifth evidence of a pre-tribulation rapture is that somebody is going to be taken out of this earth before the tribulation period. And if he's leaving, I'm leaving. All right, this is one of the most powerful passages about the second coming of Jesus. By the way, you know the second coming of Jesus is the number one theme in the New Testament. 
mentioned 270 times. You ever told your child something twice to get them to believe it? Jesus is coming back to this earth. All right, verse two, chapter, uh, verse two, excuse me, chapter two, verse one of Second Thessalonians. Brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord and our gathering together to him. Do you have any, guess what he's talking about? The coming of Jesus, our gathering together. Don't be shaken in mind or troubled either by a spirit or word or letter. Listen, there's going to be a lot of goofiness taught and preached out there. You stick with the Bible. Don't be shaken by what people say. Stick with this book. Verse three, let no one deceive you by any means. That day will not come unless the falling away comes first. What's one of the signs that has to happen before the rapture of the church? The church people fall away from the church and fall away from faith. America is rapidly turning from God right now. I mean, the decline in the last 15 to 20 years is stunning of how many people have stopped believing in God, stopped worshiping God. I hear numbers, but let me tell you the true statistics. Probably less than 20% of the American population even attends church on a regular basis. And not everybody that goes to church loves Jesus. So we're not a Christian nation anymore by any stretch of the imagination. And the Bible said there'll come a day when people will just follow away. They'll just quit believing in God, don't want anything to do with him. Well, people are bothered by this. He told you it was coming. He said, it cannot happen until it comes. And then what did he say? The uh, Bible said the following way comes first, verse three, and the man of sin is revealed. What does the Bible call him? The son of perdition. That's that man I spoke of who the Bible said in Revelation, he will be so empowered by Satan, so gifted, so the world will be awed by this man and say, this is the greatest human leader in world history. And he will appear to be that, but he will be the man of sin. He will be the son of perdition. Now, what does antichrist mean? It can mean against Christ, but it also means substitute for Christ. And he will appear to be the Messiah of the world on a political, of course, in a military level. All right. The Bible said this, verse six. Well, let's read verse four. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God. He sits as God in the temple of God, declaring that he is God. Of course, we read that in Matthew 24, Luke 17, where Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of in the book of Daniel, this man will win the world's trust. He will be the friend of Israel for three and a half years. He'll make a covenant with Israel. They'll rebuild the temple. They'll sacrifice animals. Peter will, Peter's head will blow up, but they're going to do it anyway. He's going to sacrifice animals, but he's going to turn after three or four years, after three and a half years, and he's going to go in the temple and he's going to sacrifice to him. He's going to say, I am God. And Jesus warned of this when he was teaching on this. And this is the great deceiver that comes. All right, verse six. Now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. What's the only thing holding back evil in the earth? What is the restrainer? It's the Holy Spirit of God. It's the presence of God in the earth. Do you have any idea what this earth would be like right now if you took the restraining presence of God out of it? Well, the Bible said the restrainer will keep holding back evil, holding back what's coming, as long as he's in the earth, according to scripture here. Now let's read. You know, what is that? Verse seven, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Would you agree with that? I understand why a man runs off with a secretary at work. It's not right, but I understand it. It's wrong, but I understand it. I understand why somebody would steal money, steal something if they were hungry. I understand it. What's going on in this nation don't make sense anymore. Mystery means hidden craziness of lawlessness. It don't even make sense what's going on in this land right now. That is the mystery of lawlessness being worked in the earth right now. I right, watch what verse seven says. The mystery of lawlessness is at work. He, is that a capital H? Well, it's not talking about it, it's talking about somebody. 
He who restrains will do so until he, capital H, if it's a capital H in the middle of a sentence, it's talking about God, his presence. And in this place, the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. So what does the Bible say here? The Holy Spirit's going to disappear from the earth on a set day. The only thing holding evil back right now is the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in the earth. And what does the Bible say he's doing? He's restraining. He's holding back evil in the earth. But one day he's going to be lifted out of the earth. What will happen then? Verse 8, then the lawless one will be revealed. He'll step forward. And then ultimately Jesus will destroy him. The Bible teaches you and I there'll come a time before this great period called tribulation when the Holy Spirit's going to be taken out of the earth. Guess what the temple of the Holy Spirit is? Me and you. Guess who's going out if he's going out? Me and the Holy Spirit cannot be separated for eternity. So at the rapture of the church, the Holy Spirit's going to leave the earth and I'm going, I'm not staying here without him. It's rough enough with him. But when God leaves this earth, I'm going with him. So the Bible teaches clearly the Holy Spirit will be lifted out of the earth. The restrainer will be removed. All right, I want you to turn and see what Jesus says about this in Matthew 24 where he teaches. And let's see if the scriptures all line up. Matthew chapter 24 Matthew 24 is the great passage where Jesus taught so much about the second coming. Now, I've heard people say this. I don't think you need to be focused on that stuff. Why so much of it in the Bible? If 30% of the Bible is prophecy concerning the second coming, he put it in here for a reason. And we need to read it. And there's two, there's two primary reasons we need to read it. We'll look at that in a minute. But in Matthew 24, we're not going to look at the whole thing. So Jesus speaks about his second coming and... Uh, The beginning of Matthew 24, as we saw already, are the 10 things. We looked at this a long time ago. The 10 things Jesus said would happen before the rapture of the church. I believe we're living in those days right now. It it reads just like the newspaper today. And this transition has come in my lifetime. This has happened in my lifetime. Since I was a young man, I know some of you think I was here before the Model A was, but compared to world history, I'm not that old. But in my lifetime, we've seen a total shift in the climate of not just this nation, but the globe itself. And Jesus said, this is what it'll be. And he mentions 10 or 11 things, depending on how you divide them up. <clears throat> and then he speaks about this. He speaks about the second coming or the rapture of the church in Matthew 24, verse 36. Well, let's, let's look back and read verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of heaven will be shaken. The sign of the son of man will appear in heaven. All the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven in the power of great glory. Now that's not talking about the rapture of the church. That's talking about the second coming of Jesus. After the tribulation, it says, Jesus will return to this earth. Everybody will see him. What's the response of the world to Jesus returning? What does it mean tribes? The nations of the earth will do what? They will mourn when Jesus comes back. They're not looking forward to his coming. I'm looking forward to his coming. All righty. Verse 30. uh, Let's look in verse 36 going down a little. Well, let let me throw this in here too. While while we're here, we got time to look at this. Verse 32. Learn this parable. Look up up here. If Jesus tells you to learn this parable, guess what we should do? We should learn this parable. Learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know summer is near. So you, who's you? Biblical scholars. This is every believer. You also, when you see these things, know it is near at the door. All right, Jesus just gave you 10 or 11 things 
that will prescribe right before the rapture of the church. And he said, if you got enough sense to walk out your front yard and see the little tiny buds coming out on a tree and you know, well, spring's fixing to be here. He said, if you got that much sense, you can read the Bible and know when Jesus is coming back. Not the exact date, but you can know that it's getting close. Let me make an announcement. The trees is budding. I mean, there's just, you say, well, you, you, you sound hopeful. Well, yeah. But even if I were hope, listen, even if I didn't want him to come back, I couldn't deny what's being seen in world history versus scripture right now. So Jesus said, you should be able to see these things and know certainly that it's coming. All righty. Let's look down to verse 36. Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels. Nobody knows the exact hour. All right, what do you see there? I can't know the exact hour, but I can know the, I can know the circle coming. I can know when it's close. Now watch this. Here's the great clue. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming <clears throat> excuse me, of the Son of Man. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when Jesus comes back to the earth. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, married, getting married, giving in marriage till the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them away. So shall be the coming of the son of man. What's the message? You and I are to learn from Noah and you can read Genesis chapter six as it was in the days of Noah. So is the coming of the son of man. What's the message? They were clueless. They had no idea. They were, they, a lot of them were attending a wedding that Saturday. There was business as usual. They were having cookouts. They were eating. They were inviting their friends over for dinner. They were marrying their children off. It was business as usual. Nobody had any idea what was going on. And then in a moment, destruction came. All right, that's why Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah. But there's a great message here. And here's the message. This passage proves that we don't leave at the end of the tribulation because by the end of the tribulation, it will not be like it was in the days of Noah. People will not be eating and throwing barbecues and getting their daughters married off. This has got to be before the tribulation period. And here's how the Bible describes it. Watch this. Verse 40. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken. The other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken. The other will be left. Watch, therefore, you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. What do those two verses describe, verses 40 and 41? In a moment. Two guys are working in a machine shop or, or in a hosiery mill and they're working on this mill and the guy turns and says, hand me a, and nobody's there and his clothes are laying on the floor. He'll just boom like that. Two women will be working in a field, maybe migrant workers, you know, picking potatoes or peppers or something. And she'll say, are you ready for, and she'll turn around and nothing but her clothes will be laying there in the dirt. It's going to happen that suddenly. That's the rapture of the church, the, the, the caught up in a moment like that. You say, that, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. See why I call it the most stunning event in world history. Yeah. And the left behind crowd will be, CNN will be going clueless. Absolutely clueless. You say, this is the craziest thing I ever heard. Am I making this up or am I showing it to you in the Bible? Right here it is. And the Bible is very, I want to read the other and then let's see what the Bible says about it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 is the other place where Jesus spoke about this. And this is a tremendous lesson. A lot of people make fun of what I'm fixing to say. His word will stand. And people mock what he says here. Mock all you want to, but we'll see who laughs last. Luke chapter 17. I, I, I was pretty stern, but I'm going to tell you something. There comes a time to quit laughing. And there comes a time to take some things serious in this earth. 
And in Luke chapter 17 is that Jesus is talking again about things that are going to happen. And verse 26 says this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be in the days of the son of man. He described how they drank, married, yada, yada. Verse 28, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. Do y'all remember Lot? Abraham's nephew. He made a great mistake for financial reasons because he could make a lot of money. He moved to a place he shouldn't have been. The city of Sodom and Gomorrah that was a hellish city. And the Bible said he pitched his tent towards Sodom for financial reasons. It cost him his family. There's a tremendous lesson there also. But as it was in the days of Lot, all right, also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they were building new homes. But on, listen to this, not four days, the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. What does the Bible teach me and you here? He said, if you want to know what this is going to be like, look back at what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah the day, the day Lot went out of it. Now, Lot walked out of that city because God told him, I'm going to destroy the city, but I want you out of it first. And he brought him out of there. And uh, here, here's the message. As it was in the days of Noah and Lot. Now, listen, this cannot be at the end of the tribulation period. Because you've seen in the scriptures, they're getting married. They're building new homes. They're planting their fields. They're, buying, they're doing business, going to Harris Teeter, buying and selling. They're having dinner with each other. That's not going to be happening on this earth during the tribulation period. As I've already told you, 60% of humanity is going to be killed during this period by pestilence, disease, violence in the earth, tremendous weapons of violence, uh, natural disasters. One third of the earth's surface will be absolutely scorched and destroyed. The waters will be defiled. Nobody's going to be living business as usual at that time. This has to be before the tribulation period. It'll be life as usual. Everybody's going on like they want to, and it'll be business as usual. And, uh, but here's the point. They were totally unaware. The earth had no idea this was coming because it is closed from people who don't know Jesus. You said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Can't, can't some university professor, can't, can't some senator read this and see what's happening? No, it's closed to them. Unless you're a child of God, this is closed to you. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament is the top prophecy book concerning the end of the age in the Bible. Daniel has so much in there about uh, Israel being the focal point, yada, yada, different things like that. But in the book of Daniel, the last chapter, the angel told him, said, I've given you the revelation of the end of the age. Now listen to what he said. He said this, seal the words of this book until the time. Nobody will understand this book until the time. Well, Daniel was written 2,600 years ago. Nobody has been preaching on this and been getting revelation into it but for the last few years. You go back and study history for 2,600 years. These words have been sealed. And matter of fact, I want to show you something. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 12. I want to teach you something here that is just, this will explain a lot of what's going on in the land. You say, Brother Brian, you... We need to get this on the news. We need to get this in the paper. I mean, if this is going to happen in the earth, people need to know this. It's not the newspaper's job. It's not. There was one group of people been given the responsibility of getting this message out. All right, Daniel chapter 12 is where he talks about the end of time. Daniel's a, a, just a wild book also. Let's read a little bit of just a few verses in Daniel 12. Verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. If you've got Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. If you see guys with names like Obadiah, turn around and go the other way. 
right, Daniel 12, 1. At that time, Michael, who is the chief angel, stood up, shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So Michael is the angel that rules over the nation of Israel. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. What did he just prophesy there? 2,600 years ago, he prophesied a time of tribulation. All right. And uh, verse two, we've already read, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting content. We read that, 1 Thessalonians 4. All right, but you, Daniel, verse four, you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Verse nine, he said, go your way, Daniel. The words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. God is not gonna give anybody understanding on the second coming till toward the end time. It's sealed. But now watch this verse. This is the one I want you to see, verse 10. Many shall be purified, made white and refined. The wicked shall do wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but the wise will understand. What is he saying? You seal this book till the end of time, but even at the end of time, wicked people won't have a clue. They just won't be able to see it. As Jesus said, they will see, but not see. They will hear, but not hear. You say, well, how, how can it happen that smart people can't read this and understand? Well, here's the answer. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and arrogant and prudent in their own eyes, but you have revealed them to the humble who walk with you. It's not about how smart you are. It's about whether you follow Jesus or not with a humble heart. And uh, that's why I, I've heard professors say, I've read the whole thing. It didn't make a lick of sense. Well, you shouldn't be reading somebody else's mail. It's not yours. It is, listen, listen to this. I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and arrogant and prudent. Let me make an announcement. If God Almighty wants to hide something from you, he can do it. But let me make another announcement of the last part of that verse. If he wants to show you the great mysteries of the universe, I don't care if you don't have but a sixth grade education, he'll put it in your heart and show it to you. Humble your heart, he'll show you the truth. Who is the greatest teacher in the world? I will send you my spirit. He will lead you into all truth and he will teach you all things whatsoever I've said to you. Listen, I'm not against college. I just think the Holy Spirit's better than a degree. Amen. I mean, both might be good, but we have to understand this is hidden from the generation that's there. It's just totally clueless. And then here's the last thing I want to say about the days of Lot and Noah as Jesus was teaching. Judgment could not come to those lands until the people were removed. Uh, the judgment did not fall until the door of the ark was sealed shut and Noah and his family were safe in the ark. Tell me what the ark is a picture of. Jesus. Jesus is our ark that delivers us from the wrath to come and the judgment to come. That's why in Ephesians, 42 times it mentions being in Christ. We are in Christ. First Thessalonians says, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Just as Moses, excuse me, Moses didn't have an ark. He had a bass boat. Uh, just as Noah had to get his family in that ark to be saved. I have to get my family in Christ Amen. to be saved for eternity. But the Bible said about Lot, I don't know if you remember the story of Lot, but Lot loved God, but Lot was a backslidden man who loved sin too. And the Bible said in the book of Jude, his heart was bothered by how evil these people were. Why didn't he get out? It cost him his family. But the Bible said the angels came to deliver Lot before destruction. Here's one of the great words from God about our nation from what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember when the Lord said, shall I hide what I'm going to do for my friend Abraham? And he told Abraham what he was going to do. I love this verse says this. The Lord does nothing unless he first reveals it to his servants, the prophets. 
He don't know me and you a thing, but isn't he kind to show us what he's doing in the earth? All right, he said to Abraham, he said, I'm going to destroy that city. And do you remember Abraham went through that thing with him? He said, don't destroy the wicked with the righteous. He said, if I can find 50 righteous men, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah? And the Lord said, you find 50 righteous, I'll spare them. And Abraham said, can I go a little further? How about 40? Can I go a little further? How about 30? 20? He said, please don't be angry. Let me ask you one more time. If I find five righteous people in that land, will you spare it? He said, you find me five righteous people and I'll spare it. He couldn't find five righteous men in that city. What's the message for America right now? I don't need 51%. I need a little handful of people that love God and are praying for this nation. Find me a small remnant of righteous people who are praying to God. He will spare this land. Listen, mercy triumphs over judgment. That's James chapter three. Just find me somebody who wants to pray. So that's the great message. But he couldn't find it. So he sends the angels. They came to Lot and they said, judgment's fixing to come on this place. Dear ones, God always sends a message if folks would just listen. And do you remember Lot's problem? He drug. He he didn't want to leave. He drug. He he went to preach to his son-in-laws. They thought he was mocking and they thought he was an idiot. Much like people who preach this message today, people think you're an idiot. His wife drugged terribly. She didn't get out. Listen, she didn't just look back. She went back because she loved it so much. That's why she was destroyed. He grabbed, finally the angel had to grab him by the hand and his two daughters and say, get out of here. And then Genesis 19, the angel said, judgment can't fall on this city till you're out of here. So get out now so we can bring judgment on this city. And that is the message. Let me tell you something. The judgment's not going to fall on this earth till the church is out of it. Until Jesus has got his people out of it, the judgment uh, is not going to fall on this land. And then you have that seven-year period called the tribulation period as soon as the church leaves. You say, Brother Brian, what what will it be like? I mean, mean, what will it be like? I don't know. I just know this. That movie was pretty close. That in 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 an instant, people will disappear all over the earth. And uh, listen, there's going to be a huge crowd disappear. You're going to be surprised at two things, according to the Bible. We won't take time to look it up. You're going to be surprised at who doesn't go out. A lot of clergy are going to be left behind. Clergy sounds like a skin disease. A lot of clergy are going to be left behind. But let me tell you something. A lot of people are going to be snatched up that you wouldn't have thought got it. Because it's not how religious you are. It's your heart toward God. And have you repented of your sins? And that's the important part right there. And then you have that seven-year tribulation period that we go into. All right. Therefore, you say, so what? How many of you believe what we've seen tonight in the Bible is true? I I do. I believe this with all my heart. I never read this that a heaviness doesn't come on me for obvious reasons, but a great joy. I, I mean, I try to imagine things in my mind. Good luck. I mean, Hollywood has never been able to pull this off like it'll be. I'll just say this, be that. We'll figure it out as we're going up. But I'm going to give you three thoughts concerning what we read tonight that should affect my life. Listen, listen. If what I've said is true. Now, if what I've said is a bunch of malarkey, let's go get something to drink and forget it. There's no halfway. Either the Bible is true or it's not. This is either the pure truth or it's, it's just hogwash. And we've got to decide, is what I've heard tonight, I mean, not what you've heard, what you saw in the Bible, is this true? All right, three thoughts, if this is true. Number one, the excitement and the expectancy of Jesus. Amen. So we talk about how excited people are to see him again. What do you think he is? 
He lost his life for one. He suffered for one reason. Hebrews 12, 2 said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and then sat down at the right hand of the father waiting. What's he waiting on? Same thing I was waiting on the week before August 15th, 1981. That's the day I got married. Guess what I was waiting on the week before that? I was so anxious, so excited about getting married. You, a man should be excited about getting married. Okay, some of you weren't, but you should have been. There's an expectation and an excitement. The Bible talks about the excitement of Jesus to finally be with his bride. I mean, why would you suffer like that if you didn't get something out of it? What, we talk about what we got out of the cross. What's Jesus get out of it? He gets a bride for eternity. He's excited about, let's get it on. Let's go. Secondly, obviously here's the big one. Are you ready? When the rapture of the church comes, will you go with him or will you be left behind? And what else matters? What would it profit a man to gain the whole world but miss the rapture and lose his own soul? And he used to say, Brother Brown, I'll think about it. Take all the time you want. Just don't miss it. I've actually talked to people and have said to me, well, even if I miss the rapture, I can get saved in the tribulation period, can't I? I believe you can. But let me tell you something. The Bible is very clear. Every person that gets saved in the tribulation period, you'll be put to death by the government. You'll be murdered. And you'll have, and here, here's my point. If you want to repent of your sins and accept Jesus in a comfortable building where people love you and cheering for you, what makes you think you'll do it when a firing squad's pointing at you? Do it now. Listen, nothing else matters. Education, finances, standing in society, nothing matters except are you ready when Jesus comes back? And that, that's really the only issue. Let me tell you the problem with my nation. My nation's not ready. Our nation's not even close to ready. The church is not ready. I, I was stunned. We, Mr. Barna is the top Christian poster in our nation. Mr. Gallup's the top secular poster. And Mr. Barna works out of the University of Arizona where they have a Center for Christian Studies. And he just released the Condition of the Church 2020. He does this every year. Let me tell you what the survey told us of this year in the church. The majority of Christians don't even know how to get to heaven. They just don't even know the gospel. 55% of Christians said it's not the cross. You get to heaven by your good works. Listen, that's not the world. That's Christians. 80% of Roman Catholics don't know how to get to heaven. They don't know the gospel. They don't, and here's the number one uh, number one. If you go ask people, I don't care whether they're Christian, claim to be Christian or not, the number one answer they give, if you'll ask them the simple question, how do you get to heaven? Here's the number one answer. One day you're going to stand before God. He's going to put all your good deeds on one side of the balance. All your bad deeds on the other side. If your good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. If your bad outweighs the good, you go to hell. That is the damnablest lie ever told. Friend, let me ask you a question. If you could be good enough to go to heaven, why did he have to go to the cross? What can wash away my sins, my good deeds? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we believe in the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on my behalf so that I could confess my sins to him and trust him as my savior. And that is the only way to have eternal life. There's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. That's it. Listen, your good works are not the way. Jesus said, I am the way. Nobody comes to the Father unless he comes... Not only, people are not rejecting the gospel in America. They don't even know it. How can this be that in America, where we've got a church on every corner, America has four Bibles for every home in this nation, 
but the gospel has not been heard yet. I'm just stunned. How can this be? There must be a deceiver out there. There must be a blindness in the earth. And so I need to get ready. And uh, I think the gospel needs to preach the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. We have entire denominations now that have rejected the gospel and are angry about people preaching it. Major denominations. Number three, if what we've read tonight is the truth, what do you think the main ministry of the church of Jesus ought to be? What should be the number one ministry of the church of Jesus? Did Jesus come to air condition the building? Help you to balance your checkbook? The Bible said this, Luke 19, 10. Jesus said, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. That's why we need to do one thing. And this is, a man told me years ago, I'm just a young preacher, he said, son, the hardest thing you'll ever do in a church is to make sure that you keep the main thing, the main thing, which is, I don't care. If we help you with your marriage, Great. If we help you get over your past, great. If we make you some friends, great. If you lose it all and go to hell, we've missed the whole point. The church must preach the gospel in this land. The number one call of the land is to preach the gospel. So I'm going to say this concerning the gospel. The church in America has gotten away from the gospel. Uh, The average church in America doesn't see one person baptized in a year. Now, my background's Baptist, and I love the Baptist. I was uh, saved in the Baptist church, raised up. Baptists are known as the most outreaching denomination in America. Last year, over 50% of Baptist churches didn't baptize one person. Not one person saved. In North Carolina, there are 3,400 Baptist churches. 2,200 didn't baptize one person. What's going on in the church? We, we don't believe the Bible anymore. If we believe the Bible, what would we be doing? Listen, I I want you to have better marriages. I want your kids to be blessed. I want them to learn how to get along. I want you to find friends. I want you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I want you to learn how to worship. But I want you to go to heaven. Above everything else, nothing matters if we miss heaven. That's why this has to be the most important message. So I want to say this tonight in closing. I want you to do something for me. I want you to pray for our church. I want you to pray for our church. How? I, I, I walk around and pray all the time and just ask, how? How can we help this city? Let me tell you something. Jesus loves the most pathetic wretch in this city. Uh, listen, but by the grace of God, there go I. God's, God didn't love me and my family, us four, no more. He so loved the world. And I want you to pray, Lord, show us how. I believe that we're put here as a lighthouse to help this city. And not just to help it have better health care or something to eat. The eternal salvation of this city should be the number one heart of the, the issue in this church. So I want you to pray. Show us how to do that. And, and, and what do we do? How do we, how do we stay focused on this thing? Pray for your church constantly. Because as I've learned, and I'll close with this, five minutes after Jesus gets back, what we thought was important won't be. The only thing that was important will be. I believe there's a great prophetic picture of this uh, in our nation. Uh, I believe the Titanic was a prophetic picture of our nation. The unsinkable Titanic. Do you remember that? She was declared as a ship that was unsinkable. What's the only thing she ever did? She sank. And I understand the engineering behind the Titanic, the ballasts, you know, that would absorb the water and keep the rest of the ship up. But how many of you know some things happen in life that we don't plan on? And the experts are not always right. That book is right. And of course, the Titanic sank and there was a lot of debate and discussion. One of the most studied instances in world history was the sinking of the Titanic. But here's the bottom line. When it was all said and done, uh, 
uh, some of the craziest prophetic truths came out of that. Who do we blame? There was, a, there was the main mezzanine in the Titanic. The band kept playing as the ship sunk. The people were drunk and laughed at the thought that the ship could sink because they'd been told what? And they went, they were drunk and dancing and they sank because they didn't believe it could happen. Is that a prophetic picture or what? Bearish things happen. But the bottom line was after the Titanic sank the next day in New York City, the Cunard Cruise Lines, which owned the ship, uh, the, you didn't have modern communication in 1912 like we do now. Uh, the, the Cunard Cruise Lines, everybody waited outside their door. Finally, they put two lists on the door. And at the top of each list, it had the simple words, saved, lost. And everybody wanted to know where their loved one's name was on those lists. Then was when it's all said and done, it's not going to be about Democrats, Republicans, charismatic, Baptist, loud worship, organ worship, who sat up front, who sat in the back. Only thing that's going to matter is two lists, saved and lost for eternity. And we need to make sure that stays the center of our hearts. All right, I think I need to throw in something for somebody here. Why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, one quick word. I want to ask a question. Do you believe God will show you things that are in the future? But let me ask you a question. If God shows me something in the future, what do I need to do with it? I need to respond to it. All right, I want to show you the picture here. And here's another picture of what's coming. Hebrews 11 is the passage of faith. I want to look at one verse here that is so, so foreboding of what's coming. And uh, I want you to meditate on this verse some and see it. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says this, By faith Noah being divinely warned. What's the word divine mean? Divinity. God. Noah was warned by God. I mean, us, we've been warned by God. Noah being divinely warned of what? Things that nobody else knew. Things not yet seen. What is faith? It is the substance of things not yet seen. God told Noah something was coming that nobody else could see. Has he done that for you and me? Absolutely. Noah was divine. He was warned by God of things that nobody else could see. But watch what happens here. Verse seven. And not yet seen. Look at the next word. He moved. He didn't just say, well, I got information now. What did he do? When God showed him something, what did he do? He acted on it. He moved with divine fear or godly fear. Now, let me pause right here. A lot of people say you should never use fear. What saved Noah's family? The fear of what was coming. It was a good, there's some bad fear. There's some demonic fear. And you do not need to be afraid of your heavenly father. But a person who says to me, I don't believe that rapture stuff. You need to get afraid. That's, that's good fear. That's godly fear. And I'm going to tell you some godly fear has done some good things for me through the years. We don't emphasize it much in this day of grace. Godly fear has done some good things for me. It saved my life a few times. Moved with godly fear. Watch this. He prepared an ark to save his hide. No, no. Why did he prepare that ark? To do what? Save more than himself. He built that ark to save his family. The meism of America has got, we got to get off this. We got to realize I've had people just get ill. They say, why'd you build that building so big? Because God loves more than me and you and your family. He built an ark for the saving of the whole family. And is, by the way, it's a big old sucker. I mean, it wasn't no speedboat. It was bigger than my bass boat. I promise you that. He built an ark. Tragically, only eight people got in it. But it didn't matter. He built an ark for the saving of his household. He condemned the world and he became a, an heir to the righteousness and the blessing of God. God showed him something that wasn't coming. 
And he did something about it. And he went and talked to his family members. And remember, he talked to three son-in-laws and three daughters. They were grown and married. And he said, judgment's coming on this earth. And there's a place of safety and you need to get in it. What do you mean you need to do? We need to talk to our family. We need to talk to our neighbors. We need to talk to our friends and let them know judgment's coming on this earth. You say, what if they laugh at you? You think Noah got laughed at? Do you think his message was rejected a time or two? Does anybody know what, what Noah's title was in the Bible? He wasn't a farmer. He wasn't a carpenter. What was he? Noah was a preacher. The Bible called him a preacher of righteousness. And he preached for over a hundred years. that judgment was coming. Only six converts. Well, his wife counts seven. But he kept on preaching. And you know what? It was up to God who got in, but it was up to Noah to move with God to fear and put the word out there. You think he got laughed at? You think they had barbecues and watched while he's building that big boat? And he, they said, what's that for? He said, what's well, going to rain on the earth? What'd they say when he said it's going to rain? What's rain? Never rained before. Noah is a picture to you and me that we've been warned by God. And this causes me to praise God and thank him for his goodness. Why did he show this to me and other people can't see it? It's called amazing grace. Thank God. I get up every morning. Thank God I'm alive and I know Jesus. And if he comes back today, I'm going with him. We ought to sell. That's why we ought to rejoice in the Lord always. Thank God for his goodness and grace. But I need some folks to go with me. I'm going to build an ark for the saving of his household. I want to confess my sin to you on occasion. Now that this pastor in a church this size can be a little rough. I mean, naturally, anything. I mean, try having 5,000 children. It, it gets tough after a while. And on rare occasion, well... Okay, I'll tell them. Once in a while, I get to thinking, man, I wish I was back in Peachland, my little 150 folks, and eating greens with Grandma for lunch every day and going down to Carly's and getting soda pops and sitting around and just, just having the best time. And, but you know what? It ain't about me and us four. Now, I'm under no delusion. I'm not going to get the world in, but I'm going to take everybody that wants to go. I want you to pray for me because I want my heart to be affected more where my burden is more for the lost that don't know Jesus. I want them in. Let me ask you a question. If it was your daughter, what would you want us doing? If it was your son, what would you want us doing? Let's go get them. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you tonight. I thank you for your goodness and grace. I'm at a crossroads here. I've got to decide, every one of us in this room, what we saw in the Bible tonight. Is it true or is it not? Lord Jesus, if it's not true, who cares? But if everything I saw in the Bible is not true, then I guess the rest of it's not true either. And I guess we can throw the whole thing away. But if what we saw tonight is true, we need to be like, like Noah. It needs to move us. And we need to build an ark. <laughs> and we need to get people in it. So I just humbly pray, Lord, we're not going to put on a program for outreach. And I'm not going to fuss at these people to witness more. I pray that the love that was in the heart of Christ to come to this earth and die for me would baptize the heart of this church so that when we look at waitresses and people we work with and cousins, something inside of us would just say, I wonder if they're ready. I wonder if they know. I can't, I can't make people do anything. But I pray that just as you poured out your spirit at Pentecost, and they, as the word said, they could not stop telling people about the goodness of God. Put it on the heart of this church. Make this church, I believe we'll be held accountable as the lighthouse of this region. Let the word go out. I don't know where we'll park them at. That's none of my business. But 
recalibrate us toward the one thing that is eternal in this house. I pray for every person listening. Father, we're fixing to give people a chance to get in the ark right now. I can't imagine somebody listening this night saying, nope, I want to be left behind. My dear Holy Spirit, I love you. Go through the room right now and draw people to Jesus. Friend, if you're seated here tonight and if Jesus came back tonight, there's no messing about it. You know you'd be left behind. You know you would. Let's change it right now. Jesus loves you more than anybody's ever loved you. He'll forgive you. He'll embrace you. But you have to come to Him humbly and confess your sin and ask Him to be your Savior and open your heart to Him. You can do that right now. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what the Bible says. Why don't we call right now? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible says. Let's do it right now. If you want to follow Jesus as your Savior and confess your sins and run to the heart of God, I want you to pray a simple prayer with me right now. Let's just, right there where you're seated, pray it in your heart. Pray it to Him. He's listening. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross for my sins. And I believe you're coming back to this earth. I ask you to forgive me of every sin I've ever committed. I turn from that. And I receive you now as my Savior my Lord, and the love of my life. Come in, dear Jesus. I give you my heart, and I believe in you to save me. Thank you for the promise. Thank you that you'll do it. From this day forward, you are my Savior. You are my love. Tonight, I'll start my walk with you. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Father, I praise you and thank you for folks that prayed that prayer with a humble heart. I praise you that if a man had a hundred sheep, a big old crowd, and he lost one. He'd leave the 99 and go after the one that's lost. Make this church like that. Make me like that. I don't want to get so caught up in the day-to-day business that I forget the big one's coming, son. Live for this right here. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified in this house and forever. In his precious name we pray. Amen.